It is the Royal Blue Podcast. It is the post Burnley show. And what a four in a row show it's going to be today. Do like that, lads? Oh, very, very. <laughs> I'm your host, Ian Kroll. And today I'm joined by the Echoes Everton FC correspondent, home and away, Joel Thomas. Joe, how are we? Yeah, very good, thank you. Good, good, good. And we've also got Liverpool Echo Sports reporters, Conor O'Neill and Matt Jones. Lads, how's it going? All good. Matt? Very good, mate. Very good. Good, good, good. So on the agenda today, then, it's obviously all talk about Burnley. The reaction and post-match reaction of the Burnley 2-0 win. We've also got a full and preview, massive, massive quarter-final at Goodison Park under the lights Tuesday night. So, Joe, I'll come to you first because you were there at Turf Moor. Just tell us exactly what it was like. It was lovely. <laughs> it, was just, it was just lovely. It was easy. <laughs> it was just, in some ways, it was almost... Um, Almost a bit of an anticlimax. All the other, all the other wins recently have had a bit of jeopardy. In the Forest was, you know, we're quite sure which way it was going to go. Chelsea started the second half brightest at nil nil. Newcastle took a little bit of time. Burnley, I was kind of there expecting, expecting them to show a bit of fight. Um, I thought it was a must-win game for them. You know, especially with Forest having lost um, earlier in the weekend, with them being a team that could potentially still be in there all a bit because of the potential, uh, the points deduction. Um, and obviously, we know that Everton had you know injury and suspension crisis. This was one of the more um, intriguing lineups selected by Sean Dyche. Obviously, he had his hands tied with a lot of them. Um, so I thought there was potentially quite a lot that could go wrong at Turf Moor. And you know, last time we went there in April of um, of last year, it was a, a very difficult time. This couldn't have been any easier. It was nice, and we spoke about this a little bit last week. But it's, Everton just seemed to be in as a club, seems to be in the habit of winning. And I think that what Saturday kind of suggested is that even when you change the personnel, it's obviously that, it's obvious that attitude has been distilled throughout the squad and not just the, the 11, 12, 13 that were on the pitches for the three games prior to that. You look at the performances of Ben Godfrey, Michael Keane, and you, know, you, you can see that they know how to win all of a sudden. And I think they like it. And I like watching it. And I like writing about it and talking about it to you. <laughs> So keep it going. I can't complain. Okay. I mean, just, <laughs> no complaints. I mean, Matt, on um, on Friday, I did the, the preview podcast with uh, Chris Beasley and Paul Wheelock, and we kind of suggested that we knew exactly how Burnley were going to play because it's how Winston Company wants to play, but they, they did it badly and Everton took advantage of that once again. Yeah, 100%, mate. And I think as soon as Everton go 2-0 up, and you don't actually ever want to say it out loud, but I think in your head, you're all thinking this game's over and done with. Um, because you could see that after that initial flurry uh, from Burnley, I think they looked like they might cause us a few problems as soon as Everton settled down into that new shape. Um, the players seemed to you know, develop a few like early little links um, and realise how they're going to get through this game. It was only ever going to be Everton's football match. Um, just to echo what Joe said, really, it was just so easy, wasn't it? And like that second half, it, 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 it almost felt like with the call rate coming off, like I feel like I feel like if that game was in the balance, maybe we don't see him. Come out in the second half there. I don't know how severe his injury is, really. And well, maybe he felt like Tuesday was in mind. And yeah, like the, the second half, as much as they probably had, what, like 70% of the ball in the second half, you'd say? Like it, it wasn't a 70% against us where you felt like we were stretched at any point. You know, I think back to games this season. And the one that comes to mind was, was Brighton, where it felt like we had to like work quite hard to, to shut them down. They looked quite, quite threatening when they had loads of the ball. That on, on Saturday, it was very stabbing in possession, wasn't it, from Burnley? It didn't really feel like Everton. Everton's defenders' legs would have been aching or they would have been out of breath, really. They were in the shape, they were comfortable, and they, and they just shut it down. So, yeah, just delighted. And 
you know, it's it's, it's mad. So I sitting here and you know we were speaking about it before, kind of where we're like, oh, we're all sort of expecting Everton to win these away games now, and you go back, you know, six months, nine months, and you think, do you remember how hard away games used to feel? And you'd look at an away game on the calendar and think, oh. and I remember going to Norwich a couple of years ago. I think they'd lost eight in a row without scoring. And you'd look at that game on the calendar and you'd go, oh, we're going to lose there. That, 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 that's, just, that's just what Everton do. And we went there and we did lost and we sort of fulfilled that that sort of role that we always tend to, to fulfill. And to, was it four wins in a row away from home now? You know, we've got, the, got one of the best away records in the league. We've lost to the best home team in the country in Aston Villa and the second best in Liverpool. You know, this is... You know, this is something we we sort of are taking for granted now, but maybe we shouldn't take for granted because this team and this manager have really managed to change perceptions away from home. And since since the deduction and since the end of last season, they've all done absolutely amazingly well. Absolutely, Corey. I'm just going to read this off my notes. But the last time Everton visited Turf Moor, obviously the then Burnley manager Sean Dyche suggested that um, the Blues had lost the ability to win. This certainly, uh, well, this this team now under Sean Dice knows how to win football matches, don't he? I don't think he was wrong when he said that either. No, I, don't <laughs> think he's wrong. I, I don't think he was wrong when he said that back in April 2022. But, I mean, like Matt says, and just the stark contrast, I think, from not just then to where Sean Dice inherited and, you know, where the team he, he walked into in January of this year to where they are now is, is, is incredible, really, because, you know, there's, there has been changes, but there hasn't been that many changes. You know, you think of Wright McNeil, January couldn't get a look in. Now he's probably one of Everett's most important players. You know, Jared Bradford's obviously coming, didn't play the weekend, but Michael Keane, who I think we've all safe to say we're struggling to start this season, come in and done really well. Ben Godfrey's come in and done really well on, on Saturday. And it's just, it, it's down to Sean Dyche. There's no other way to look at it than it's down to Sean Dyche because he's set them up. He's got the, you know, the mentality, the togetherness, you know. It's been, it, the, the closest thing you can describe it is probably very similar to when David Moyes was in charge. In that terms of like, you go and watch an Everton team, and okay, it's not maybe going to be spectacular in terms of the football you see, but it's sweat on the shirt, it's people doing what they're being asked to do, mm-hmm. it's everyone being organised, everyone being together, everyone battling hard, and the fans can really get behind it. And that's the most important thing because I think over time, the fans will have very little to get behind in terms of what they've seen on the pitch. It's been more of a case of, you think of the two seasons Everton stayed up, the fans dragged over the line on personal pride because no one wants to be part of it, really, it's a football club. What because of that? Not because of what they've seen on the football pictures. There's motivation. There's a total opposite now. And you look at you look at Saturday. I mean, I think the second half, Everton fans just spent the whole half signals and because they literally, you know, they knew that unless something might happened or unless Everton, you know, basically threw the game away, then they would have won away with another three points. And it's all down to Sean Dyche and what a job he's doing in a short space of time. And I have to say, I think I had my doubts at the start of the season. I think with Sean Dyche, I think. It didn't start great today. I think, you know, the Fulham game, the Wolves games at home, Villa away. You started to think, oh, is this maybe a bit too big for him? Is he not? Is he not? But he's really got a stranglehold of the, of the football club, really. And he's transforming them. And now you look at where they are. And, you know, the, the position on the table isn't great, but no one's looking nervous over the shoulder. Everyone's looking up and thinking, you know, there's no reason why they can't be in the top half moving forward since the second half of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And Joe, uh, just a uh, couple of touching points on the match. Then Tom McCabalou had a, had a golden opportunity with a header about 17 minutes in, but didn't really matter, did it? Because upstepped Anana from the corner with a, a fantastic header. And obviously the goal there is second against Burnley in about six weeks. Six weeks, But it just proves how important he, he is to that team coming back in after injury. He is. I mean, obviously he's part of that collection of four centre midfielders that they've got for the free spaces. And, 
you know, Vilma now are starting to see they're all rotating pretty well. So if somebody does come out like Adrissa Gay came out, um, you're part way through the Chelsea match and now they can step in and they all know their jobs. And even when they're being asked to do slightly different roles, because, you know, Decorey's been asked to do different roles for, in that centre midfield in recent weeks because of, of some of the other injuries and, 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 and suspensions. And it's clear that they all, all, all know their game plan. And you're right. Like, I mean, how often would we have seen a Dominic Calvert Lewin header like that? You know, good save, but I thought you should have scored. And, you know, we spent the first you know, six weeks of this season saying how costly misses like that were. Well, this time around, the next ball that goes into the box, it's you know it's in the back of the net. And it was quite satisfying, you know, just that little passage of play for a couple of reasons. One, I think it was Nathan Patterson who put the cross in for Dominic Calvert-Lewin. You know, he had to get a start against Burnley because Coleman and Young are injured. But, you know, I've said it a lot in here, but I still think Patterson deserves a little bit of a chance. And, you know, one of the things I've been saying last week was... He was going to get a chance on Saturday. If he takes it, I hope he gets to keep it and gets a run in the team, hopefully. And it's an easy one to start him against Fulham because, again, you know, Coleman and Young are still coming back from injury. So, you know, I hope he gets given an opportunity to another decent enough game. And as for the Inanna goal, again, we've already mentioned the last trip to, to Burnley. And, you know, I haven't got done so quite often twice in that game by deep in swinging corners to the back post. Um, you know, Sean Dyche's favourite. We've seen that blueprint used so many times at Everton in the, the 11 months, 12 months that he's been there now. It's just nice to see it work in the opposite direction. Yeah, there it was, Dwight McNeil to the back post and it was an Everton lad that's heading it in instead. It was it was, it was, was really, really satisfying for that and for, for, you know, for a number of reasons. And um, yeah, I think obviously the second goal came from the set piece as well. I think Everton scored more goals from set pieces now than, than any other team in the Premier League. And, how big a criticism was that from all of us under Frank Lampard and just previously it just felt like such an avenue that was being underexploited given the strength of the uh, the aerial presence in that Everton side and some of the players that could, we could have been attacking the ball. You know, it's just, he's dragging Everton forward, but so much of it is just by simple wins, just making sure that, you know, set pieces are being taken by the right players and they go into an area where the right players are tackling him in the box and, you know, you just... Uh, how many how many Edis Tarkovsky wins in the opposition box or running around from set pieces? It's just phenomenal. Like it just muscles his way up there. It's brilliant. You mentioned um Deitch's comments after that game when he was Burnley boss for Everton, not knowing how to win. I asked him about that on on Friday. It's funny, whenever you ask him about that, he's always like, Oh, it's all misinterpreted, it's all been misre- misreported. I didn't mean it like that. I spoke to Frank after and I I I'd looked at it before I went and I looked at it after and I was like don't know how anyone is, how you can accuse anyone of misreporting. It's pretty clear what he said and what he meant. And it's even more bizarre that he Royals had it because, I mean, he, like Connor said, he was right. Yeah. Like they had forgotten yeah. how to win and now. You got know, a psychological edge over Everton, obviously, at the yeah, time. Oh, well, he still does, doesn't he? The police do it from now. Like, yeah. he's, he's one step out of the club, isn't he? And it's working in the Blues' favour at the minute. And, you know, as a result, we're full out smiling here on a Monday morning, aren't we? I think that's the big thing is that. It's a team that plays with strengths yeah. mm. because when you look at like the power, the, the the height and power they've got in the in the ranks, with the core, Onara, the centre backs. Why wouldn't you just put the ball in the six yard box and attack? Like, and you think of like sitting under Frank Lampard, where we play short corners, and you think, well, what's the point in that? You know, the, the, literally put put the ball in the box and let people attack it. Now, under Sean Dyche, it people might look at it, think it's simple, it's, it's you know, it's, it's effective, but it's it's effective football, you know. You've got if you've got if you've got big strong lads, put the ball in the box and let them attack the ball. It's, it's not it's not it's not difficult. It's one of them as well. Like you, you sort of look at like I think Joe said there about Tarkovsky. Like you know, he's like he sort of he sort of like muscles his way to the ball. Whereas like you look at like Anana and Carvalho and they like 
they like run and leap, don't they? It's like, yeah. it's like there's like different ways in which those players attack the ball as well, which must be like really hard to defend. But like on an honor in particular, like you're saying there, Ian, like we sh- he should do this loads more, shouldn't he? Really, like because mm-hmm. he, he can't. He's obviously a big lad. He can really spring. You know, I remember early on in his career when um, at Everton, was it at Southampton away? Southampton. And he, got, he gets up and heads for Cody, doesn't he? And it's like, it's an amazing leap. And like, and I think that's where you, you go back then. And I think that's where those comparisons with him and Fellaini sort of started, which obviously haven't really turned out to be, to be anything um, because they're very, very different players. But it feels like he gets there quite a lot and then his head is like terrible. At the <laughs> like it goes over the bar or whatever. But, you know, he, he's got all the attributes there to be, he's not going to score 10 goals a season, but, you know, What's he got now? Two. Like he, he should be getting five, I think, from set pieces alone because the delivery for McNeil or Garner tends to be really good. We've got other options in there as well. You can take players away from him, and and, and he should be able to exploit that a bit better. I think because he, he's got all the tools there to do it. No, yeah, absolutely. And kind of Joe touched upon Patterson there. Um, after about twenty-four minutes, I was watching the match with a friend, and I said to him, "He's taking." <laughs> no, no, I thought he's taking his chance here. So did he take his chance? Yeah. I thought he'd done really, really well. I, I saw it was quite Chris Clavin when he got his, his last chance at West Ham United uh, to the display of many. I think it's safe to say. Slip an email's value of your player. Yeah, I thought he'd done really, really well. And I, but I think he's, I think that way the plays on Saturday suits him a lot more than being a natural fullback. Okay. I think he's more accustomed to playing a right wing back role than he is. So he's got that little bit of a right back. I think you look at. The, the, the chance for Carvalho Lewin yeah. is the perfect example of a kind of a, a right wing back and able to get forward, pick a cross. And I think he's helped by the, the cover that he then has defensively in the three centre backs rather than having to be in a four and perhaps having to be a little bit more defensively given the lack of numbers. But I thought he'd done really, really well. And I'm a, I'm a Joe now. I think you've got to give him an extended run in the team. I think you've got to give him a chance to, to nail down the position because, you know, the beauty of Everton is they've got some really good young players. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, a lot of me like to. Tarkovsky and Pickford and the kinds of people who've been there for a while but you know you think of James Garner Onana Brownfoot when he comes back in Calvert-Lewin they've got some you know Jack McNeil they've got some really young promising players yeah, yeah. and there's no reason why I don't think Nathan Patterson can't become one of them young promising players but I do think he must benefits more from that ring, right wing back role than actually being right back Okay so Michael Keane obviously came back into the team and yeah. I, I feel like I need to apologise to him because I was a little bit critical of him on there <laughs> and in the Friday pod, you know, as, as people have been in the past. Um, but after 30 years, Michael Keane has clearly found his position as a centre-forward coach <laughs> corner striker. Uh, I think we've known this for a while, haven't we? You know, there's, there's been a few different... I mean, Joe will be able to say better than me, but I feel like we've got a few different managers coming in saying, they're not flipping like who's oh, the best finisher at the football club. Yeah. Like, but the first, the first shot's brilliant. It's, it like, it's, ba- yeah. it's a bouncing ball, first time, and like he, the technique to it, it's absolutely fantastic. And then, obviously, he keeps us cool for, for the second one. But, but yeah, no, do you know what? I think it was really smart management actually going to the back five mm-hmm. because you've probably got a situation there where if you know Mikelenko out, you could have easily gone Godfrey left back on yeah and just stuck with the back four. But I think then you've got a situation where. Keen, if he would have played on the right hand side of the defence, would have been maybe more exposed because, like Connor said, Patterson likes to, to get forward more. And then on the other side, you've got a non left back play next to Tarkovsky. It, it all feels a little bit uncomfortable, but I think by just giving Keen the protection of playing in the middle of the back three with Tarkovsky to the left and Godfrey to the right makes him feel a bit more comfortable. And then Godfrey in turn has then got that protection either side of him as well. So I think both centre backs who came in would have felt a lot better. I, would, I think middle of a back three, that, that feels like 
the ideal Michael Keaton mm. position does. Yeah, you know, you don't, you don't really want to fall back steaming on and leaving space outside him. You know, playing there, you can just sit in the middle, see how everyone's going, read the game, and just head and kick everything away. And listen, he was, he was great for him. I think, but you know, whatever we say about him as a player, I mean, it's been critical in the past. He always comes out and fronts up, doesn't he? he always speaks to the press. He's, he's very honest. You know, Joe's piece from from the weekend was speaking about how, how great he was behind the scenes with fans and stuff like that. I think. I can't imagine, even though he's not been playing, he would have been anything other than absolutely fine having a round for the group and working hard. And you know, even in his, his comments after the game, he's spoken about how good Jared Bradbury's been doing. So, so yeah, it, good, good to see him come in and do well. Um, and maybe him coming in and doing well gives Dice a bit of flexibility in terms of formation now going forward. You know, we used that that back three formation really well in Villa. We've not seen it again since the weekend, was it? That's the first time we've seen it again. Um, and maybe something with um, Idris again, maybe going to AFCON as well, we're going to lose a midfielder there. Might be something he can look at in January and Key and it's just given something a little bit more to think about. But, but just just please on Michael Key. I, I don't know if it really necessarily means anything massive going forward or, or long term or changes his prospects and everything, but just nice for him to get a, a game and get his moment. I think oh, the, yeah. the big thing you, you could tell, couldn't you, is that <coughs> the two of them, Rafa too clearly hasn't dropped in training. Yeah. Because normally if a player hasn't played for a long time and they come in, it looks like they need time to come in or they start going down with cramp after an hour. Them two didn't seem to be in that. It's clear that they, they've obviously the head's not dropped to train and they'd be working as hard as anyone and they're reaping the benefits. And, and whatever Sean Dyche is doing behind the scenes clearly working because there seems to be an acceptance that people, when they come in and get the chance, they, they tend to take it. Don't they? You look at this season, you know, Jack, James Garner come in, didn't even took his chance and hasn't looked back. Brownford come in and took his chance, hasn't looked back. Whatever comes in tends to give Sean Dyche something to think about. Unless you're Arnett Andrewman, who seemingly didn't take his chance. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't seen him since. Well, it's good cool what you said about, about Keane. I saw a piece yesterday just saying in a couple of weeks ago, just before the Man United game, I've sat down talking to James Tarkovsky and you know, it was the international break at the time and most of the conversation was him and Branthwaite. Well, you know, what, what's Branthwaite's possible to see to play with? You two of them knock on the door for England I mean, mm. as, as a partnership. I mean, it's probably the best one going at, 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 at the moment. But it was quite notable that even... In that conversation, he used the as an opportunity to flip back to Keane and, and Godfrey and everything that they were doing behind the scenes. And, you know, guilty of this myself, didn't think too much of it at the time because then you kind of think, well, you know, he's a standing captain. He's not going to turn up even and say, oh, so-and-so isn't pulling their way or so-and-so yeah. sulking. You know, sometimes it feels like these are easy things for people to say. But obviously a couple of weeks later, you know, Godfrey and, and Keane have come in and they've, they've Vindicated everything that Tarkovsky was saying because you can't play like that unless you're still taking everything seriously and be professional and be mature and taking your responsibility behind the scenes. That's what they clearly did. Michael Keane did have crap after that, by the way. But he, uh, <laughs> Didn't show it. Yeah, but he felt he forced his way through the last half an hour as a speaker. Testament to that. Testament to that. Well, I think, it's a, to be honest, I think it's probably a testament to how good Everton were in the first 25 mm, yeah. minutes and how much the game was won by that point because he was saying by that stage he could just. Came about focus on making sure he's in the right place at the right time, so he didn't have to you know, do much recovery work. And, and you know, obviously, we did, we we couldn't tell, could we? So I mean, it shows he, he knew what he was doing. We're in danger of turning this podcast into a Michael Key loving, aren't we? Oh, you deserve it. He, oh, yeah. he, he nearly scored again in things well in the second half at the post. Yeah, yeah, His highlights real. He throwing that Tottenham goal. He found the Palace goal. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah. There's some, there's some corkers in there, isn't there? No, yeah. Absolutely. He threw his assist for Mina against Wolves to stop his style last season. Against Liverpool as well, hasn't he, in the past? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wanted the cop was yeah. one, yeah. 
Oh, you so which stand? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Yeah. It should be called the Michael Keel Arena. <laughs> <laughs> to another goal scorer then, Joe. Yeah. Uh, Dominic Carvert-Lewin, obviously, we're, we're desperate for him to, to get back on that goal train. But yeah. it's nice to see the goals being spread around the team once again. Yeah, like we said many times on here before, you know, the way in which this Everton side sets up, it doesn't need its front man to be prolific. Yeah, Dominic Calvert-Lewin's role isn't... I mean, we all want him to score 15, 20 goals a season, and we know that he's capable of doing that. But more important for, for Everton, because we, we saw this in how much he struggled in his absence last year, it's having the figurehead, having the focal point that makes the rest of the system work. And the reality is that you know, you can be critical and say Dominic Calvert-Lewin hasn't scored in this many games, hasn't scored as many goals as we'd like, but the reality is... you. Know, Dwight McNeil's popped up with goals recently. Abdullah De has got six. You know, Jack Harrison's got a few useful assists. Even Andrissa Gates popped up with a goal. A lot of that's happening because of what Dominic Calvert-Lewin is doing in front of them. You know, and you almost a bigger part of his role. Uh, and that's why Beto is such a good foil. So they're you know, slightly different type of players, but they do a similar job in that. Scoring goals is only one part of, they, of their role and responsibility in that team. Another big part is creating the conditions for everybody around them to score and provide more goals. At the minute, Dominic Albaloon is doing a very, very good job at that. We'd have liked him to have scored his header. Of course, we would have done. Um, and yeah, we, we all want him to see. I think we all we, we can all see how hard he's worked to get back to this, this situation. We can all see how valuable he's at Evans' side. I think we'd all like him to make a, an obvious push for the England squad for, for the upcoming Euros. Yeah, that that'd be nice, and I think he's. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I have to stay well away from it. Yeah. To be honest, <laughs> fair enough. But yeah. like, you know, he's someone whose opportunities for his country yeah. have been limited mainly by his body. Not yeah, his I know. Like, if he plays well, he's going to be in the conversation. He, exactly, and I think to get in that conversation, he's going to need to score goals yeah, because it's, things are a little bit more superficial. But um, but I got no problems with not in the back of that at the minute. Like I thought, you know, you saw it right at the end of the first half, and then obviously two 0 up and. You're going to stoppage time, and there he was, you know, winning throw-ins and corners deep in Burnley territory because he was just fighting until the whistle went, just to keep that competitive. So, like, I think he's doing a great job. If not, it, it, sorry, I was just going to say, like, it, it feels to me like it, like it, he was really involved in both the celebrations for the goals. Yeah. He's well, like, he's, he's overgiving it, whereas the fans are like, he's, he's made up. And like, I, I imagine for him, like, obviously he will want to score goals, but like, it feels a bit like for him, like after just missing so much footy. It's just like he's just enjoying playing and being on the pitch again. Like, and, and like, I think in the past, maybe he's not been someone who's like been fully invested or like, you know, they're giving it lowest the away and the stuff like that. But now he, he is, and like, it, that, that's just good to see in itself. And you think back to when he came into the side, like, he, he scored his first goal of the season at Brentford, didn't he, off the bench? Mm. And he's basically been barring a couple of games that started or been, been, you know, in the squad since then. And I sort of like think back over the season and think like when did this all really start to turn around for the better? And it's about that, isn't it? It's mm. not Brentford. And I, don't, I don't think it's any coincidence that you know, maybe he's not been scoring the goals, but our form in the period where he's been starting matches is miles better than than when he wasn't. And yeah. it, 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 this, it, you think you think Carvalho, and I think people maybe look back at that season under Angelotti where he had his best goal scoring year. And he's never going to be that player in this setup because obviously the style is massively different. But he hasn't he hasn't got the players around him to be able to just be that penalty box striker anymore. You know, Luca Dean, Richarlison, Rodriguez, Sigurdsson. You think about that those four players and the supply line they gave him in that team. He could just play between the width of the goalpost and just have everything in because the creative supply was so good. 
Like, we haven't got that anymore. Like, he's, he's got to run the channels a bit more. He's got to, you know, do more for the team. He's got to be more like the Carvalhoid, who was so good on the Marco Silva, but he didn't score as many goals because the style has changed completely. So I'm not surprised he's, he's not scoring as frequently, but he just looks like he's made up to be back on the footy pitch again. And, you know, based on the celebrations and based on the way he acted on the pitch on Saturday, like, it doesn't really seem to be bothering him too much either at the moment. Yeah. I think the big thing as well, when you talk about England, is that, there's long been a belief, hasn't he, that Gareth Southgate does seem as the second choice to Harry Kane. And you think even the World Cup last year, I think it was quite late when Gareth Southgate made the call that he wasn't going to take him. And that was only because he got injured. It was at Leicester, I think, he could yeah. up, didn't he? Uh, uh, I think up until then, Southgate was pretty torn on whether to take him or not, which shows, given he hasn't played much football, how highly he regards him. When you think of the, the forwards in and around what have been in the round England in the last couple of years behind Harry Kane. Mm. None of them probably have been given the chances that Dominic Calvert-Lewin has when he's been fit and, and probably none of them are seen as a natural successor to Kane if he's not available than, than Calvert-Lewin is. So I think that's a big compliment as well because when you think now there's been obviously a lot of players but Calvert-Lewin's still right there in the thinking. Matt, I'll just come back to you on this one then. So does this dispel the, the myth that possession wins football matches? All, all eight of Everton's Premier League wins have been while having less than 50% possession. Oh yeah, I think we've done that a long time ago. We dice. Um but yeah, like it's mad, isn't it? Like because there's this like this is like constant like finger on your head. Like when you see us have like none of the ball in the second half, you're like, well, like you're like we're fine here, but you're also like a little bit nervous still, just because you know it, it's your team. But but yeah, like it, it just suits us, doesn't it? Completely down to the ground. I think the, the way the way we soak up pressure, the shape of the team, and then you know you think back to the games against Newcastle and Chelsea in particular, and like it. It, it's not like it's not that like we're just sat in all the time. Like I think I think ironically, the game at the weekend. If you if you, if you think of the idea you had of Dice before he came to Everton and what he was like at Burnley, I think that second half of the weekend is most aligned with that version. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense in the terms of like sitting back, everyone behind the ball, edgy road penalty area, and just just wait and play set pieces. Like ironically, the most you know Dicey performance we've had in inverted commas was away at Burnley. <laughs> but I think. Other than that, we've not we've not really done that. Like obviously we haven't had as much of the ball, but we we don't really sit on the edge of our own box, do we? You know, you think about Chelsea and and um and Newcastle and the goals come from us against Newcastle being high up and forcing Trippier to mistakes, turn it over quickly and scoring. Chelsea, it's the same. We win the ball back, fast transition from McNeil, and, and we we break through and score. So it's not like it's not like we're being passive in games and just sort of being negative and waiting for the, the football match to, to kind of come to us. Um, I I just think. Saturday was just a bit more like that because we were so confident the, the game was one of our time and maybe the mind did start to think to to the heavy schedule we've got and the, and the Carabao Cup game as well and we just thought I'm just going to sit here and just, and just conserve energy so yeah I, that, you know we might not have as much of the ball but I certainly don't think we're being negative in the way we're playing I think it's being it's being smart and it's being aggressive at the right times I mean I'm not going to probably endear myself to the football hipsters who, who like a stat but who honestly cares no I mean, there's yeah. only one stat that matters maybe an 80s football <laughs> hipster but I think the biggest thing and Everton fans know it's more right, is that the one thing that does matter is results isn't it because yeah. you look at you know last few seasons Frank, I think we all can all Frank Lampard come in and try to play a nice brand of football and a nice style it nearly took Everton to the championship because he didn't get any results what Sean Dyche is doing is playing to his side strengths and I think if we'll be honest, there's probably times where we don't want our team to have the ball as much as what people probably want them yeah. to. Because would you want to see a Drissigan again in the corner trying to play from a 10 yard pass to each other in the middle of the pitch? I, I don't think I would. So, yeah, I think it's just a case he's actually just playing to his strengths. And 
if that means they don't have the ball as often as with that position, then so be it because it, it's it's yielded results. That's the most important thing. Yeah, absolutely. And Joe, just want a special mention on this. There was there was a, a point in you know the first half just before the the whistle went that Burnley did get in mm-hmm. uh, behind our defence, but Ben Godfrey was there to save the day. What an outstanding well challenge block, whatever you want to call it, interception it was. Yeah, being clearance and to get there. Obviously, Zaki Andouli was. Yeah, it's had an open goal facing him, and you know, Burnley get that goal back all of a sudden. The second half's a very, very different game. Yeah, um, yeah it was. A, we know his talents are. We know he's got superb strength and, and, and pace, and um, you know, we put that on show there. I mean, probably quite question mark as to why he had to work so hard to recover to be in that position in the first place. But you know, and when you've got pace like that, like, I mean, you did, I've seen screen grabs of it and. The ball's coming into the box, and yeah, Godfrey isn't even in the picture. So, but then to make it back and then to get it away from goal, bearing in mind he's going with that pace, that momentum in the middle of the goal, a couple of yards out. Yeah, it was phenomenal. And obviously, you know, it was celebrated like a goal, and he, he deserves great credit for it because it, it, it made everything so much easier in that second half. Just sticking with you then, just a little bit of injury news. I don't know whether you can update us, but Decore obviously came off for Dobbin. Was that precaution? Are we expecting him to be not fit for... Uh, Decore is touch and go for, 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 for Tuesday. Um, he, he had a tight hamstring, so I think it was very much a precautionary one. I think Deitch looked at the situation and thought, I've probably got the liberty to, to take him off and just protect him. So we know hamstrings can develop in something a lot more serious, and Decore is, if not the... Most important and problem one of the most important cogs in that setup for how it works and how Everton can can get forward. Um, so if you're going to protect that, when you protect him, and you do when you two lap at Burnley. Okay, um, Connor. You know, obviously, we don't know whether we're going to get this ten point ten points back from you know this punishment from the Premier League, but seven points now. It is that's massive, isn't it? Because obviously, what what's happened over the past couple of weeks, we picked twelve up out of you know five games. But seven points clear just seems like a nice little little gap. Yeah, it does when you think of the fixtures that Everton have had. Because I think after we always looked at December and were a little bit wary. I think it's safe to say. And then obviously the ten point deduction hits Man United. You know hits and you think and oof, all of a sudden mm. December was very dark and you think a couple of bad results here to start with. You know Forest and Burnley, for instance, two allegation rivals. You could be dropping points to. You know, squashing between Newcastle and Chelsea, two tough games, two teams who, who probably be pushing for European places. But to come, you know, four straight victories is, is a remarkable return. And, you know, that cushion is there now. And you was like, you, you, I think the big thing as well is, is that when you look at Saturday, I don't think you're that worried by Burnley. I think, you know, we all walked up to Burnley and thought, these aren't great. You know what I mean? I don't I don't think Sheffield United are great. You know, Luther, I think, are probably going to struggle a little bit as well. So all of a sudden, you, you've got that seven-point cushion, you look at the opposition and think that they kind of need a massive turnaround here to, to get to get a, a boost or to get a, a bump up. And like I say now, I don't think Everton and Earth should look over the shoulder at all. I think they're, they're fairly looking above the top ten and trying to get the table as fast as they can. But the seven-point is a nice comfort blanket because, you know, there's some tough games to come now as well. You know, Tottenham away, Man City at home, you know, two real tough games. And, you know, as much as you like to see Everton pick up points in them, if they don't, at least they know they've got a bit of a cushion from the the hard the hard work that's the hard work that's been done at the start of the month. It's um it's matter of fact that we were bottom of the league going into that forest game. Yeah, like that 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 and you you didn't say that what Connor's right there regards to all the, the stats and, and how far we are, but like like how how easy would it have been for everyone's heads to just sink after that? You know, after after you know the fraud that built up to United, how how up for it how up for it everybody was that day, and then obviously it's just that like 
the balloon of like indignation and positivity just punctured by that overhead kick and all of a sudden it's like god maybe 10 points being knocked off is actually really quite bad for, for everyone here and like and like that that realization sort of washed over me walking up the ground that day and i think like and then obviously we had the bad results go against us that saturday before the forest yeah. game as well and you're thinking you know it would have been really easy for everyone to just be like so down in the dumps and you know have a bit of bit of pity really when it didn't really have anything to do with this manager or, or this set of players so to be bottom of the league going into that game and win just string off four wins on the bounce well conceding a goal like it, it, it's such testament to, to, to this manager and the players that they've been able to just just get through that and the other thing now is that we're dragging dragging other teams into it. You know, we're we're, we're yeah. above Forest, and we would have been above City. Uh, sorry, City, not City. Not doing that well. <laughs> would have been, been above Palace. Yeah, would have been above Palace at the weekend if they if City hadn't flapped it against them in, in, in the last few minutes. And all of a sudden, you're looking at like you know teams like Brentford, like Bournemouth are still down there as well. And like we're only three points behind a lot of them, even with the ten points off. So we're bringing other teams back into it as well, and it's just all giving us that that bit of extra cushion. Which is making us breathe a bit easier, and me to look ahead to games like Tuesday. You think let's just go for it. Yeah. Let's just go and try and win that. That's true. I think the that's big right. thing as well with the point deduction is that it's now a case of if they got you know to say for instance they got five back, you know. But you look at it where that would take Everton the table in terms of going up, not looking at the table and think well if they get five back at least that takes them third bottom or it takes them outside. Yeah. You know you look at looking at it from a point of view of well if they get points back it'll take them out the relegation zone or it'll move them a bit close to safety you look at it, I think we'll have to get five points back we go to 10th or we go to 11th and that's a big psychological thing you're not you're not relying on them pushing them to move you up the table in terms of fighting relegation you're relying on them to probably bridge the gap between the, the top the top half and below bottom of the bottom half Matt I'll just come up to you on this one just before we briefly move on to Joe about Fulham um, are we in, I've refrained from saying this and asking the question because I know a lot of people have been talking about it fans and pundits alike but are we in danger of missing out on a European place well, yeah, at the moment, you have to, have to say, wouldn't you? Like, it's that's the frustrating thing around this, and, and, and you know, I'm sure you'll agree. It, it does matter. Then we people go, oh, it's it's the best season to have this points deduction. Yeah. Like, maybe <laughs> few, maybe a few weeks ago, like I was sort of in agreement, but now it's like, well, no, it's not because look, we, we could yeah. be like probably pushing for the top eight here. Um, yeah, I mean, it'd be like you know, it'd be nice for Joe on a few European trips oh, next season. Yeah, uh, yeah. Go and cover final and season. Go just oh, well, yeah. so that's it. Like, yeah. I mean, that, that is, the conversation starts to. Will this deduction deprive Goodison of European football in its final season? Yeah. I guess we are sad to say that the fact that we're having that conversation is just testament to the way that the club incredible progress this year. I think there's two things that always need as well because the point deduction were also them first five games of the season. We just converted some of them yeah. chances against Fulham and yeah. Wolves. Then you could have been even Rosie, couldn't it? And I know, I know, we, you know, you should get too carried away. And, you know, you great for what we've done, but you can't help but think in first five games, there's so many looting, no, so many there for the taking, and we could have been even so much better, better off. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll do a brief Fulham preview. Then Joe, obviously, absolutely massive cup game, cup quarter final game under the lights of Goodison Park. Are you still going to be as confident while we're on here before, you know, before the <laughs> Yeah, I, I, yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to tomorrow night. What, did you, what was it that you said? Well, I mean, yeah. I was a little bit interested. <laughs> I, I thought I mic check. I don't quite think it's going to be like that. But I, I just, I can't, I can't begin to fathom that Everton are going to lose three games to Fulham at Goodison Park in a calendar year. And the two that have gone before them have been so grim. Yeah. So, so grim. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, surely, <laughs> like, surely we can expect better this time round. And obviously, Everton are in a far better place than they have been any of, the, of those fixtures. And Brownfleet can come back in. Gay can come back in potentially as well. So there are more options with 
with Deitch for, for what you can do. And, and I think that, you know, I asked Deitch about this on, on, on Friday. It's quite interesting when you, one of the many disappointing side effects of the deduction was that all of a sudden you went from looking at this Fulham game with a lot of excitement to going, well, it's probably a cup game that we could do without him. It's what mm. looks like a very difficult December. It just sapped all the joy from it. But what Evans formed since then is just, it's going to it's, put themselves in a position where now they're seven points um, from the relegation, so they look head and shoulders above any side that's in there and some of the other sides in the league as well. So all of a sudden, you, know, you can treat this as a not a free hit, but you can take it seriously. This is a cup quarter final. It's a cup quarter final against a team that Everly should be beaten at Goodison Park with a prospect of a non Premier League opposition in the semi final to then get to Wembley. Like, I mean, you know, go for it. <laughs> Are they good enough? Like, and then City, sorry, go to, go to Spurs on, on Saturday and Spurs, go for them. Like, you know, the seventh side know what it's doing on the road. And, you know, Spurs has some fragility as well. All of a sudden, you can, you know, it felt like this at the end of Chelsea, only only after the relief of Dobbin's second goal. Certainly felt like this for most of the game at Burnley, but you know, all of a sudden football at Everton has its fun back. And like, let's take advantage of this, let's just go for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think as well, and you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself, but the, the schedule of the cup, FA Cup game in Palace, although eyebrows have been raised, if Everton get through tomorrow night, that actually could work in Everton's favour. Because it'll give them longer to prepare for the semi for the first leg of the semi final, which I think is the following week. So that's a little bit of psychological. Well, I mean, and it's only booking his Wembley hotel, isn't it? In Czech, I'll go like that far, but um, I'll just say, me and Paul, we locked did have a, a conversation along them grounds last week where we probably got a bit too carried away, but <laughs> and Sadly sat, done nothing to stop me getting yeah. more, even more carried away. But yeah, I think in double right, isn't it? I think it's a, it's a it's a massive opportunity. Yeah. I don't get these opportunities, you know. If you look at Everton's kind of path to where they got to, they had to come over. You know, me and Joe were at Doncaster, but it was it was far from great for an hour. I don't think we ever thought we'd be in this position. If really did we, Joe? I think yeah. we caught me in a football match. First off, I, yeah. I think we said this was the worst we've ever seen Everton yeah. play. So, 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 so to get, I don't think we ever thought we'd get to a position where we were anything quite comfortably so soon. Um, but this is a massive opportunity. You don't get many opportunities like this because you think of the cities, Liverpool's, United's, Arsenal, Chelsea. All these big clubs you can normally come across either, you know, home or away. The way the, the path has opened up for Everton, it's, it's, a, it's a massive opportunity, this, and whatnot. They should be doing all they can to take. A little bit of team selection. It's off, then Connor, stick with you for this one. Can you see Beto getting a start, or do you think he will stick with Dominic Carvert-Lewin? I think he'll stick with Dominic Carvert-Lewin. I think, uh, I think he'll go as strong as he possibly can to right. I'll, given the teams he played so far, I would be shocked if he started to change things up now, just put the competition and start to make him wholesale changes and, and stuff like that I think the only way perhaps better one might get an odd over Dominic Carvalho if Carvalho we've got in fatigue and but the, the games to come next week but obviously it being kind of Tottenham City Wolves in a short space of time whether Sean Dyche might think you know what we'll give better a run tonight and save Dom for the weekend but I just think that says the wrong message when you start to do stuff like that I think you've got to play your strongest team from the offset and, and go with real purpose and real intention Feels like better has got to start one of them though, doesn't it? <coughs> that four, four, four games. In, I think that's why. Yeah, I thought yeah. four games in like that yeah. short space of time, like that. You know, Don looks better. These looked courageous physically, but like that, that feels like a risk to me. So I won't be surprised if Beto played on uh, Tuesday night, and that it was just like the rest of the team was just like your, your best still, um, best eleven possible. So 
but yeah, I, I, but again, I wouldn't be averse to even Don playing tomorrow and um, better start of the weekend because I, you know, I, I'm so in on this this Carabao Cup. Tuesday, you know? Fulham is more important than Tottenham. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, it is now. Yeah, yeah. Fulham is more important. Than I think I'd agree. Um, never managed in a quarter final. Oh really? No, no, he hasn't. No, yeah. Never managed in a cup quarter final. That's you know. So I mean, like I think he'll take it seriously. Obviously, he got to FA Cup semi final with, with with Chesterfield, didn't he? But um, yeah, that's that's it. Like I, I think he's going to go all in tomorrow. Um, but he's definitely going to take it seriously. Obviously, yeah, fitness will will impact. I think that might have an impact on Dominic Calvert-Lewin. But yeah, I think he'll select the strong. He'll definitely select the side that he thinks is capable of winning. So, I think as well, it's interesting with the League Cup, isn't it? Because it's two semi-final players over two legs. Mm -hmm. And you think about whatever I've done away from home this season and stuff like that. You know, this well, like no, no the stars align a little bit. <laughs> like, so, like the FA Cup, we get one, it's a one-off game at Wembley, and you know, it could go either way, and you could be on the wrong end of a bad decision. You got two games, don't you? It's the Carabao Cup, to two bites of the cherry almost. So, and like you know, one of the semi-finals has got Port Vale and Borough. Well, that's it. One of the semi-finals, so there's potential for that. You've won Chelsea and Newcastle. You've both just been sent back and by <laughs> anyway, the last few weeks, and they're like obviously. Liverpool and the other one, but like even even if, I don't think they fa you know fancy players really. You know, we went to Anfield earlier in the season and like let's be honest, we got done by a bit of a shocking referee. And this is not they didn't we really can hardly not get a sense of see shell carried away with it. And, so, <laughs> <laughs> but, but like I, I think like so, I think cup competitions are so much about momentum, aren't they? Mm. And like just getting momentum at the right time. And it feels like right now like we we're just riding that that wave of momentum. And I think if we get through tomorrow. I think it'll be a tricky game. I'm not sure it'll be 6-0. But I think I was going to just about get through. But just gotta, I think we've just got to keep trying to you know, preserve this momentum for as long as we can. Because it, it is such a fragile thing in football. Like, we're playing tough teams coming up. It, you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't be a surprise if we got beat by one of them. And it was tough. And, like, you know, heads went down a little bit then. Like, but, like, right now, everyone's loving it. You know, we're all thinking about Wembley. <laughs> we're all thinking about Europe. Like, just try and keep it going for as much as possible. That's why I want to make two way changes for tomorrow. And I think it's why anyone who we've hosted got semi finals and got Everton will be thinking they're good away from home. Goodison's a hard place to go now again. Don't fancy playing then. Matt, just staying with you then very quickly. Um, obviously, Keane and Godfrey, we've lavished praise on them throughout the, the podcast, but, you know, surely not enough. To, you know, Brantwaite's surely going to be back in that team. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, I think he's all you've been as player of the season, hasn't <coughs> he? Probably yeah. along with, with this Decore and Mikalenko. So. I'd definitely get him back in there. Um, I'm not sure what's going on with this. Can Jimenez play tomorrow? Or I think he's suspended off that straight. Yeah, leg. I got so I don't know. We would be playing up front for them. Um, but yeah, you definitely get him straight back into the side. I think he's, he's just been, you know, as a good as well to work the weekend. I think Bradford showed himself to be on a bit of a, a different level, hasn't he? And is an ideal partner for Tarkovsky. So yeah, definitely back in the team for me. Before we get on to predictions, then Joe, just some exciting news about Bramley Moore and the fact that Everton have confirmed that they're going to be moving into the stadium at the start of the 25-26 season. Um, just your thoughts on that, really, because I did see a couple of people have a little moan on social media that we're not moving in any sooner. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't looked too deeply into the finances of it, obviously, you know, the more games you have in the stadium where you can sell more tickets for, the more money you're going to make. But to me, it feels like the sensible decision. Like, the logistics of moving across the stadium halfway through the season, to me, they, they may be easy. Like, I'm not speaking from a position of great knowledge here, but they just seem like chaos to me, that does. I think it's really important. That I think it's a good thing that Goodison potentially gets one final full year rather than kind of half a year. And, you know, it, it just gives you that opportunity to, to completely bookend and celebrate the history of Goodison 
and then have a full stop and then have a summer looking forward to the new the future the new home you know so you you get to kind of have both celebrations and i think that's a good thing yeah i mean obviously it gives Goldison the send off that it rightly deserves doesn't it yeah i think you know and i think everyone's by what the clarity haven't because it's been been a debate for a while about what they're going to do whether they're going to go with season or stay but I, I think the right decision has been made I also think as well I think the club are saying that they'll get the keys in December of next year isn't it so you probably would have been in the test events with the start still in January yeah. for how many they would have had to have done you might be looking at March before they would have been able to play Premier League football possibly but I mean I don't know after definite but you suspect there would have been a long pro- a process they would have had to follow so I think rather than trying to rush it and do all that just Play the remainder of the campaign also go to some and move kind of on mass uh, the the summer then. But uh, I think it's very exciting, isn't it? I think it's getting very, very real now. And I think it's 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 a bit mad I find because on one hand, don't want to leave Goodison and that's because someone who sits on a wooden seat and has an obstructive view to the park and go over most weeks. But you don't want to leave it because of how you know good it's been, how special it's been and stuff like that. But on the other hand, I think there's not one person who isn't excited to get to Bramley Mordock because it is a bright you know, blue futures, you could say it, you know, it'll help Everton get into the modern day world of a you know, football club and, you know, open so many avenues and channels and it's one that, you know, hopefully it's a, a thing we'll never look back on. Some have a perfectly there, Lenny. Yeah, well, I mean, I was just going to say, like, I'm like, Joe, like, obviously, there are too much about, like, the finances and stuff like that and, like, what the cost would be and whether Everton will go lose money from this or not, but, I mean, the, the one thing I would say is that, you know, Everton have done loads of stuff wrong, like, on and off the pitch in the past few years. The stadium stuff, by and large, has been handled absolutely spot on. And I think with that in mind, and like somebody's probably like 50-50 on the decision, I'm just quite happy to just let the club deal with it and say, you know, well, you've got everything else pretty much spot on with this stadium. Ever since the concept first emerged, um, I'm happy for you to just go with this decision as well. And I have belief in them that this is going to be done properly. Um, of course, we need to find somewhere for the base statue to be built as well. After we, after we win the and the most keen Yeah, which, which could take a bit of extra time. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Okay, predictions then. Real predictions. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, go on, we'll go around the table. I hope you'll go 7 0. Oh. <laughs> Actually, we're going to win 7. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think it'll be straightforward, um, but I think we'll just edge it 2 1. Okay. Yeah, I go two one as well. A bit of a change, that isn't it? Two one. Two nil. Two nil. And I said two nil as well the night before, so I'm going to stick with two nil. Okay. Looking forward to it. Cup goes a final. Fast for the this isn't it? Going to be chugging Carabao all day tomorrow. It's really cheering. Semi final tickets for Christmas. Get them present requests in now. Okay. Well, Matt, Joe, Connor, thank you very much. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. 